Welcome back to another episode of the Unlearning Podcast, where we learn to love Jesus and our neighbor through healthy, life-giving Christian theology. My name is Ashley Lynn Hanks, and I am grateful you are tuning in today for this episode on being prayerfully pro-choice. On this day, Friday, June 24, 2022, many of us woke up to the overturn of Roe v. Wade by the United States Supreme Court. This decision is devastating and incredibly devastating to the most vulnerable in our country. What makes this decision even more just so awful is that we don't know what else will be overturned or what precedent this decision is making. And so on this day, I want to help you think clearly as you think through this. On this episode, I'm going to walk you through Roe versus Wade, the recent Supreme Court ruling, and what scripture has to say about abortion. Now, I know this is a hard time. This might be the last thing you actually want to think about. It's a really hard topic for Christians, especially former evangelical Christians, to step back from the news and the powerful rhetoric from the pulpit. But I want you to try, and I want to help you try and to think clearly about the facts of reproductive rights. And so on this day, we're going to talk about what it means to be prayerfully pro-choice. Now, if you're listening to this and you think, hey, Ashley, this podcast that you're about to do, this episode, it's a little too late. There's no nothing we can do. There's no way to go forward. We just have to kind of sit and wait for this all to fall apart. Please remember, it's never too late. It's never too late to get in this fight and to get involved in politics and in public discourse and to help fund democratic causes and to help create change. It's never, never too late. In fact, if there is any time to answer the call to pursue justice, it's now. Roxanne Gay said it best in the tweet she posted this morning when she wrote, what ends today in more than 20 states is legal abortion. Women's and people with uterized rights to bodily autonomy and the fragile notion that everyone is free. Clearly, few of us are. I do not know where to go from here, but this is not the end of a fight. It's the beginning. End quote. So no matter how terrible today feels, just remember that this is not the end of reproductive rights for women. It's the beginning. It's the time to begin to get really involved and really engage with the world around us. I know that abortion rights is a really scary topic for some Christians, especially former evangelicals, but we need to talk about this. We've been told our whole lives that abortion is baby killing and that you have to be a monster to support baby killing. I can remember many impassioned sermons by John Piper where he talked about getting arrested for protesting abortion, and Albert Moeller likens abortion to genocide. But abortion is not genocide. It's birth control. It's reproductive health care. In March 1970, a woman with an alias name, Jane Rowe, sued her local district attorney in Texas. His name was Henry Wade. Jane Rowe's actual name is Norma McCorvey, a former carnival ticket seller who was pregnant at the time. She was also unmarried and too poor to travel out of state for an abortion. Norma McCorvey later gave birth to her child, her third child, and gave them up for adoption. 
The law in Texas at the time made abortion illegal except in situations where it could save the life of the mother. McCorvey asserted that Texas law was unconstitutionally vague and that it violated the First, Fifth, Ninth, and Fourteenth Amendment. Now, just a quick refresher from your American history class. The First Amendment is the right to freedom of religion and free speech. The Fifth Amendment is your right to due process. The Ninth Amendment states that rights not enumerated or spelled out in the Constitution are retained by the people. And the Fourteenth Amendment essentially provides all people equal protection under the law, regardless of their gender or race or other classified classes. On January 22, 1973, the Supreme Court struck down the Texas law that banned abortion, and McCorvey's case was called Roe v. Wade. This decision essentially legalized abortion across the country, and since then, Roe v. Wade has been challenged by several cases and never overturned until now. The case that overturned Roe v. Wade is called Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. And at the core of this case is the notion of fetal viability. Roe versus Wade made it lawful to have an abortion before 23 to 24 weeks or fetal viability. The point at which a fetus can sustain life outside of the womb is about five and a half months, 23 to 24 weeks. It's important to understand that no matter what you heard from John Piper or Mark Driscoll, Roe versus Wade did not make it lawful to have an abortion at nine months of pregnancy for any petty reason. Deciding to have an abortion is a complicated issue. Women and people with uteruses often have abortions for many reasons. It's either not the right time financially or emotionally for them to bring a child into the world. Some people simply do not want to have children. Others simply cannot afford to have children, given the impoverished state that they live in. Regardless of the reason, women should be allowed to decide what goes on in their bodies because it's their bodies and their choice. My body, my choice. It's really none of our business if someone makes the decision to abort their pregnancy. Now, if that was really hard to hear, just remember that Roe versus Wade made it legal for women to have abortion until fetal viability. In the case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, Mississippi was asking the court to no longer regard fetal viability and to grant greater restrictions to abortions. The lower Mississippi courts rejected that and ruled in favor of Jackson Women's Health Organization. Thus, this case made its way to the Supreme Court, where six conservative justices ruled in favor of Dobbs and three dissented. It's also important to note that later in McCorvey's life, shortly after she published her autobiography, I Am Roe, McCorvey converted to evangelicalism and renounced her pro-choice beliefs. She became an anti-abortion advocate and described her conversion in her second book, One by Love. It's also important to note that she lived in Dallas with her partner, Connie, Connie Gonzalez, and that after she converted to evangelicalism, McCorvey denounced she was a lesbian, but continued to live with Connie, and they lived in Dallas together for 35 years. What's even more complicated is that McCorvey has come out and made statements 
about how her conversion and identity change were financially motivated. McCorvey passed away in 2017 at the age of 69. Now, I know this issue is really complicated and messy, and so the best thing we can do is to focus on the facts. According to the Pew Research Center, in 2020, there were 14.4 abortions per 1,000 women between the ages of 15 and 44 in the United States. Compare that to 1981, when the rate of abortions were 29 abortions per 1,000 women of the same age. So abortion rates have gone down as women's rights and LGBT rights have gone up. According to the CDC's report in 2019, 93% of abortions occur during the first trimester. The first trimester happens within 1 to 12 weeks. 6%, and I say that again, 6% occur during the second trimester, which is between 13 to 27 weeks of pregnancy, and only 1% were performed at 21 weeks of or more of gestation, which is another word for pregnancy. So this is really important. Again, like Roe versus Wade didn't unleash the evil in women to have abortions at nine months of pregnancy. It made it legal for them to take care of themselves. Sometimes abortions do happen late in pregnancy to save the life of the mother. We don't need to be in the thick of why things are happening or why people are making certain decisions We just need to focus on the facts, on the reality of what is happening here and what we are taking away with this decision. And so the question at hand is the question of fetal viability. As evangelicals, we were taught that life begins at conception, not at birth. But most women don't even know they are pregnant until they realize they've missed their period. So for all of my non-women listeners, a woman's period can fluctuate. Sometimes women have their period and it's super regular. She knows that she's going to bleed every four to five weeks. Other women can have a period that fluctuates between three to six weeks. And so it often takes six to eight weeks or a month and a half to two months before you even realize that you're pregnant. And it takes some time to think through whether or not you are at a capacity to allow the conception to go to full term. Giving women 23 weeks or five to five months to decide whether or not they want to allow their pregnancy to come to full term is entirely ethical. When fetal viability occurs, the child cannot live without the support of the mother's womb. But what does the Bible say? Few people know that there is a passage in Numbers chapter 5 that describes an ancient practice of abortion. Listen to Numbers chapter 5 as I read this passage of scripture. Verse 11. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, If any man's wife goes astray and is unfaithful to him, if a man has intercourse with her, but is hidden from her husband, so that she is undetected, though she has defiled herself, and there is no witness against her, since she was not caught in the act, If a spirit of jealousy comes on him and he is jealous of his wife who has defiled herself, or if a spirit of jealousy comes on him and he is jealous of his wife, though she has not defiled herself, then the man shall bring his wife to the priest, and he shall bring the offering required of her, one-tenth of an ephah of barley flour. He shall pour no oil on it, put no frankincense on it, for it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of remembrance, bringing iniquity 
to remembrance. Verse 16. Then the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. The priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. The priest shall set the woman before the Lord, dishevel the woman's hair, and place her hands in the grain offering of remembrance, which is the grain offering of jealousy. In his own hand, the priest shall have the water of bitterness that brings the curse. Then the priest shall make her take an oath, saying, If no man has lain with you, if you have not turned aside to uncleanliness, while under your husband's authority, be immune to this water of bitterness that brings the curse. But if you have gone astray while under your husband's authority, if you have defiled yourself and some man other than your husband has had intercourse with you, verse 21, let the priest make the woman take the oath of the curse and say to the woman, the Lord make you an extraction and an oath among your people when the Lord makes your uterus drop your womb discharge. Now may this water that brings the curse enter your bowels and make the woman discharge your uterus drop. And the women shall say, Amen. Then the priest shall put these curses in writing and wash them off into the water of bitterness. He shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that brings the curse. And the water that brings the curse shall enter her and cause bitter pain. The priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy out of the woman's hand and shall elevate the grain offering before the Lord and bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the grain offering as its memorial proportion and turn it into smoke on the altar afterward and shall make the woman drink the water. When he has made her drink the water then, if she has defiled herself and has been unfaithful to her husband, the water that brings the curse shall enter her and cause bitter pain, and her womb shall discharge her uterus drop, and the woman shall become an extraction, an excretion among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, she shall be immune and able to conceive children. End quote. Now it's unclear exactly what this bitter water was made of. I couldn't figure, find any kind of valid research on it. But remember, this was 3,000 years ago. And, but it, what is really clear is that this, this entire passage is misogynistic and terrifying. This reflects nothing of the grace of Jesus found in John 8 when he met the woman caught in adultery. But this does affirm the morality of ending unwanted pregnancies. Other than that, other than, other than Numbers chapter 5, Scripture says nothing about abortion. The commandment, thou shalt not kill, implies that someone is born and out of the womb. The goal of Christian spirituality is about the abundant life. Jesus said, I came, that they may have life and have it more abundantly. How can people have life? the abundant life, when we institute laws that make life more oppressive, especially for people who are poor. I don't think abortions should be taken lightly. I believe that we should all be prayerfully pro-choice. In a statement given by the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, Bishop Michael Curry stated, and I quote, that we as a church have tried carefully to be responsive both to the moral value of women having the right to determine their health care choices, as well as the moral value of all life. Today's decision institutionalizes inequality 
because women with access to resources will be able to exercise their moral judgment in ways that women without the same resources will not. The Episcopal Church maintains that access to equitable health care, including reproductive health care and reproductive procedures, is an integral part of a woman's struggle to assert her dignity and worth as a human being. The Church holds that reproductive health procedures should be treated as all other medical procedures and not singled out or omitted by or because of gender. The court's decision eliminates federal protections for abortion and leaves the regulation of abortion to the states. The impact will be particularly acute for those who are impoverished or lack consistent access to health care services. As Episcopalians, we pray for those who may be harmed by this decision, especially for women and other people who need these reproductive services. We pray for the poor and the vulnerable who may not have other options for access. We urge you to make your voice heard in the way that you feel called, but to always do so peacefully and with respect and love for neighbor. End quote. I think this is a wonderful, powerful statement from a religious leader. I'll put the bishop's statement in the show notes in case you'd like to see it too. No matter how complicated this all feels, we should all be in full support of reproductive rights. We need to be prayerfully pro-choice, but pro-choice nonetheless, and allow people, regardless of what they believe, and regardless of their reasoning behind their decisions, to allow themselves to decide what happens to their bodies. Our former First Lady, Michelle Obama, wrote a statement, and I want to end our time together with her words. May this inspire you to not lose hope, to get involved, and to be prayerfully pro-choice. Hear Mrs. Obama's words. When we don't understand our history, we are doomed to repeat its mistakes. In this country, our futures are tied together in a delicate tapestry that we each have a hand in making. Too often, cynicism or indifference makes us feel like we don't have a say in weaving it, but that couldn't be further from the truth. The more we allow pessimism to push us further into helplessness, the less we will be empowered to create the kind of country we want to live in. This horrifying decision will have devastating consequences, and it must be a wake-up call, especially to the young people who will bear its burden. I know this is not the future you choose for your generation, but if you give up now, you will inherit a country that does not resemble you or any of the values you believe in. This moment is difficult, but our story does not need to end here. It may not feel like we are able to do much right now, but we can and we must. If you're like me and you want to get started right now, I encourage you to channel your frustration and anger into action by getting involved. Organizations like Planned Parenthood and the United State of Women, among many others, have resources you can look into if you want to help others or if you need help yourself. Our hearts may be broken today, but tomorrow we've got to get up and find the courage to keep working towards creating the more just America we all deserve. We have so much left to push for, rally for, to speak for. And I know we can do this together. End quote. Please get involved. Please continue to stay engaged. Please become prayerfully pro-choice. 
and join me in the countless other Christians who advocate for the full inclusion and full freedom of all people. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Until next time, my name is Ashley Lynn Hanks, and you are listening to The Unlearning Podcast. Podcast.